morning as I read from God's Word, the book of Revelation, chapter 7. I'm going to read the last part of that chapter. I preached verses 1 through 8 last week. These verses I'll read 9 through 17. But I'm going to stop early because I think it would be worth it for us in light of present circumstances to really focus upon the closing verses of that chapter. I'll be focusing my attention mainly on verses 9 through 13, or 9 through 12, rather. After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne. And to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures, and fell upon their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of God's word. Lord, we come to you this morning and we ask that by your glory or according to your glory and by your grace and by your design, you would work in our hearts salvation, whether we need to be justified or sanctified. Oh Lord, we are all in need of that great work that you do by your spirit. And so even now, hear our prayers. Work in us, Grace, that we may look more and more like you every day, we pray. Amen. I said I'd read the whole last section. I'm just worked up. Um, I I do want to say that um, in just a moment when we're done and I'm finished preaching, I've swip-swapped the singing and the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Um, We will do the sacrament of the Lord's Supper and then we'll sing. Uh, But as we come to this passage, and as we think of all the things that we get to do in worship, and I know kids, you're thinking, wow, it's 10, 12, and he's just now preaching. (laughs) Know that your pastor is going, how are we going to fit all this in? You may say, how long do we have to be here? And I would say, well, I wish I had 30 extra minutes. Um, There is something about a birthday meal. Uh, Maybe someone comes to you and says, what would you like on your birthday? And that's when you get to say all the things. The only other time that actually happens is on death row, when it's your last meal, and you can have whatever you want. That's an interesting uh, connection. Why you spoil either, I don't know. But uh, days like today, where you have word, and you have baptism, and you have the Lord's Supper, it's hard not to get full before dessert, it's just a wonderful a table that the Lord has prepared for us. And such a glorious text. In Revelation chapter 7, we see in verses 1 through 8 a picture of those who are sealed by Christ for heaven. When Christ says, I know my sheep and they know me. We need to understand that as we move through the scriptures, that there is given from the Father to the Son 
a definite number of those who are chosen and elected in Christ Jesus. Now, you may have difficulty with the doctrine of election, but your difficulty is not with me. It is with the word of God. And this decree of election is God's decree. And it is folly for us to seek to ascertain who is and who is not beyond the means that God has given us, that we are not sovereign, but Christ knows. He knows everyone. He knows the names of those who are, who have been, who will be. Even those elect infants who die in the womb, even those nameless ones that you and I will never meet, who never had time to form a social media page, right? That's how we often think. They don't exist if I don't know them. But God knows them. And verses 1 through 8 are a reminder these 144,000 stand for, it is symbolic for all, all of the elect sealed on earth. And that sealing happens even in the midst of strife. God knows who are his. But in verses 9 through 17, we find the number of those who are saved in glory, who have been delivered, who have been given that ultimate prize of the mortification of their sins. And so this morning, I want to focus on the number of the saved and the song of the saved. Those are my two main headings, the number of the saved and the song of the saved. So let's look at this number. Already I've spoken of the 144,000. This is not a literal number. It does not refer to Jews that are delivered out of the rapture or that thousand-year reign. We've pushed that type of way of interpreting the book of Revelation out of the way in order to make room for what is a proper interpretation of Revelation. This 144,000 are all who are chosen in Christ Jesus and sealed on earth. But here there is a number, number, another number given. And the question is, is that number a different number? No. This great multitude, however is the number of those delivered from sin and death, a number that is just too many to count, a multitude. And this number is brought in from all the nations, all the tribes, all the peoples, and all the tongues. And they stand before the throne and before the Lamb. It is innumerable. It is like sand upon the shore. It is like the stars in the sky. It is the literal fulfillment of Genesis 26, verse 4. And I will make your descendants, God says to Abraham, as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. When a child is born into the Christian church, our hope And the promises that we stand upon is that they are part of this number. And that the church is Catholic in its connection. It is connected through the blood and righteousness of Christ, through the church triumphant, the church militant, those who are in heaven, those who are warring on earth against darkness, 
and through time and space. Right now, as the, as the, the hours tick by on the Lord's Day, churches strike up the calls to worship. Right now it's about 10.18. Central time it's 9.18. And there are many churches in the next few minutes that will begin worship. And then an hour later, another and another and another and another. And on the Lord's Day, there is no ceasing throughout the earth the songs of the saints. We are truly a multi-ethnic, multi-linguistic, multi-colored, multi-everything church united around a central creed, Christ Jesus is Lord. That's what unites us. That's what makes us common men of the faith. We are united to Christ Jesus, and we are brought into heaven by his blood that washes us from our sins. And so this innumerable number is built upon, it is grounded upon the unquenchable fountain that issues forth from Christ's blood shed for us. Now, John does not know who these are, and we will get into greater depth, but I'm already telling you who they are. They are those who are washed, who have come out of the great tribulation. They are we. This is not those who escaped the judgment of Jerusalem in 70 AD. This is the whole company of those who are saved in heaven. And as it relates to the promises of God for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, there is no reason to doubt that you will not be one day there, truly. And so who John sees at that time when the vision is given is a strange symbolic expression of the whole of Christ's church. And not just Americans. How long have Christians been American? How long have there been American Christians? Not long. Long before this nation ever existed, or the nations that meet for NATO, or UN, or any of these modern nations, God began with a man and a woman. He put them in a garden. They sinned, but despite their sin, he made a promise. And they had children. And that promise was given to them, and they were circumcised according to that promise, according to the Abrahamic covenant. And along with circumcision, which is now expressed in baptism, rightly to be administered to our children, because we say, these children, these children belong to God. They're not mine. They're not the world's. They're not the devil's. They belong to God. And that truly all of those who rest in Christ Jesus for salvation are, are there. I don't speak the languages of these other nations. It is the reversal of the curse that we see at Babel. When man in their sin and their arrogance rejected the lordship of Christ Jesus, he came down and he scattered them the gospel brings the nations into the house of God, such that Isaiah 54, if, if the church is growing, then what, what is happening in the church is this constant 
building on, the letting loose of the tent stakes and opening up a new wing, as it were, expanding the the, the confines of the house of God such that what began with Adam and his wife Eve, and this is a small congregation. We're already 40 times that size. If there's 80 people here, I don't know about that number. And not just here, but how many local churches of the true, that are true churches of our Lord Jesus Christ gather for worship? I, I worked for a little bit for a group called Campus Crusade for Christ, and we would always say, we're in more countries than Coke. <laughs> how much bigger the kingdom is than that little organization? There are people you will never meet, and you will not speak the same language as they until then. That is glory. And then we'll speak all the same language. And we will rejoice with one voice. We won't have a psalm of the month. (laughs) Because the word of God will be so written upon our hearts that all of a sudden we start singing and we all know the words. Perfect pitch. Perfect harmony. Redeemed voices. This is a picture of what we find. And it is a picture that is very distinct from what they endured in the tribulation. The tribulation is just a description of the church militant. You and I are in the tribulation. Now, you may not feel like it all the time. If you don't, I have a recommendation. Go preach the gospel to people that hate Christ. Go find the right people. When I say the right people, I mean the people you may call the wrong people. It is very easy to, if I might say it this way, pick a fight on behalf of Christ Jesus. You just have to go to the people who hate him most. And I don't mean social media. I mean do it in person. It's easy to hide in your basement behind a keyboard. It's another thing to go out and look at someone in the eyes that you know hates Christ and say, unless you kiss the sun, you will perish in the way. Do you like to be corrected? I don't like to be corrected. And by God's grace, the Holy Spirit is alive at work in my heart. This is the company of those who have contended for the faith as the church militant, but now they have been transferred in glorious light, sinless imperfection, who gather around the throne, singing songs of the Lamb. Now let's talk a bit more about these folks here. These of every nation, tribe, people, and tongue. They are dressed in white. We see this. Of all nations, tribes, peoples, tongues, standing before the throne, we know of their proximity. They're right here. Christ is upon the throne, and this multitude is pressing in towards the throne. In the book of Exodus, Moses is commanded, build a fence so that they may not come up. Why? Because they were not yet holy, but by the Spirit we are washed, and we are not only invited to the mountain, we are invited up upon the mountain. And they are near, and they are wearing white robes. I think the symbolism is very easy to spot here. They're washed. Their robes are white because they've been washed in blood. There is no spot, no blemish, no sinful stain. 
Revelation 6.11, Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. We are perfected in righteousness even upon the occasion of our death until the final resurrection. 1 Peter chapter 2 speaks of the purity and the holiness of the saints. But you, Peter says to those who are reading, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Kids, young people, when you go work for a particular company like, say, Chick-fil-A, or you go work for another business that may require you to wear a logo or colors or a hat that identifies you with that company so that customers and clients can pick you out and they know. Don't ever wear orange to Home Depot, by the way. (laughs) Who's there to assist them? The saints of God are dressed in white Because they have been washed, they are identified with Christ. They are dressed as those who have been redeemed by his blood. And so they are made holy even as Christ is holy. And these robes are not given them until the occasion of their death. In this sense, in the sense not only of holiness, but what is seen next... Now, already through Christ, we are washed. But there is a striving and a struggle against sin, is there not? Already we are dressed in the righteousness of Christ. But there is for the church militant this difficult identity. As Paul would say, the things I want to do, I cannot do. And the things I ought not to do, I do those things. Though we are justified in Christ, though we are made holy, we wrestle against sin. These are those for whom the wrestling and the striving has ended. It is we in glory. And not only are they dressed in white, but they are holding and they're waving palm branches. Now, when you hear that and you see that, where does your mind go? To the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem. Why were they waving palm branches? Because they were acknowledging his kingship. Now, most of those people fled. What they were longing for and anticipating was one who would overthrow the power of Herod, of Caesar, and the Roman occupation. Now, here's the thing. That is happening. But it is happening through the blood and righteousness of Christ Jesus. It begins first in the church, the household of faith. And as the church is revived and reformed, what she will do is she will push out in ever greater and more glorious ways, all of those rebellious outposts that do not fear God as God or worship Christ as Lord. Now here they're waving palm branches and they mean it because they themselves, through the victory of Christ Jesus, are victorious. Your final victory comes later. And so even when the world seeks to put us to death in an effort to conquer the church, they, they cannot. It results in our victory. 
And so we see allusions to this language in Leviticus chapter 23 and 1 Kings chapter 6 and Nehemiah chapter 8 and John chapter 12. The waving of palm branches is associated with rejoicing in the king of the nation. The palm is precious to us for this reason. And so what we have is this holy, victorious, noisy throng. And they are near, they are holy, they are victorious because of Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, Paul writes, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. There is only one armed religion. One. And that is the religion to whom the Holy Spirit has been given. Now you may say they fight hard. Well, the devil is a mad, roaring lion, but he is disarmed. This is the promise of the resurrection according to Scripture. There is but one great weapon on earth, and that is the Holy Spirit. That is why the church never ceases to grow and to conquer and will ever grow and conquer. And the kingdom of Christ will come to a point where it will cover the earth as water covers the sea. Children, is the sea wet? I think my sons have asked, is water wet? Is a sort of brain teaser. I'm like, I guess. I don't know. But at some point, the fullness of the worship at Christ, covenantal worship, will be the dominating Sunday event throughout the world. Then traffic will be busy, but not because people are shopping on Sunday, but because they're going to and from the house of God. And so we find this holy host. And we find not only the number, a number that is the expression of the promises of God made true, but we also see their song. In fact, the book of Revelation is but a worship service, isn't it? It's a worship service told from the perspective, not of earth, but of heaven. And when this is happening here, that is happening there. The song of the saved. Let's go to verse 10. So they're clothed in white. They have palm branches in their hands. They're crying with a loud voice, and they say, Salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. And this call to worship, never miss the call to worship. (laughs) Never miss it. Because it is this gracious extension from God given to the saints to revel in his glory. Salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. And on this call, or at this call to worship in verse 11, there is a response. All angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne of God and they worshiped. Call, response, When I call you to worship, or God calls you to worship through me by the word, you shouldn't go, but, okay. 
Go to sleep early on Saturday. Wake up refreshed. If you got little kids, you're going to miss some calls to worship. <laughs> right? Paul missed calls because he was in prison. You know you never miss a call in heaven. And in some ways, that's part of the glorious transformation. I think of the saints who've come before us, those who have been members of the church militant, who are now members of the church triumphant, and they're just waiting. Like runners at the start line. We went to Ellie's field day this week, and there were these various booths or areas where they played various games and one of them that I got to see was a race and there's a young man handling all of these children and it's a foot race down and back and everyone at that starting line is have you ever seen horses in a stall prior to a race they're stomping it's a dangerous place to be you don't want them there long in fact they're not there long as soon as they get them lined up that gate falls and they pursue the goal One of the reasons we send the bulletin out through the week is to sort of whet your appetite for what comes on Sunday. And I know you may say, ha ha, in a perfect world. And I would say, yes, in a perfect world. But we are seeking such perfection, are we not? To long for the courts of God. And when that call to worship is given, you go, I've been waiting so long for that. (laughs) Can we do it again? Yes, you can do it again at 5.30 tonight. (laughs) And again and again and again. There's something exemplary for us in these passages. Then when you are truly aware of what you have been saved from, not just sin but the fight, then what you long to do, and when you hear the the sort of orchestra warming up, and you hear the call to worship, and it becomes time, you begin to tingle with the anticipation that we get to sing to the Lord again. We get to eat from the table again. We get to see kids baptized again. And we all know how that happens, right? Right? And we don't want just children baptized. We want those who would be here in the future, but who are not here now, here now. We want to see the the hosts of Gastonia, this neighborhood right here. If every one of them decided to come to Reformation, we couldn't meet here. Why are they not here? They're home watching television. Or they're sleeping in, or they're going to brunch, or they're playing sports. And when the orchestra comes and the call is there, they're just sort of ambivalent to it, but not the saints. Did you hear it? And having heard it, having heard the call to worship, the whole company of the elect sings. And they sing amen, which means may it be so. Now, in Spanish, there are these wonderful visual cues when you have exclamatory or sentences that are questions. Interrogative? Okay, interrogative. There is a punctuation mark at the beginning and at the end. 
So you know what kind of sentence that is. And one of the things you learn, kids, is you didn't know to go up until the very end of the sentence because you see the question mark. You know what I mean? You didn't know it was a question until the very end. It helps to know that it's a question at the beginning. We know that this song begins and ends with we mean it when we say it. We really believe this. This truth is it is part of our DNA. It is part of who we are. We are meaning what we say. And so they say, let it be. In response to salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne. Amen. So when we in church here, I, we sing and I say amen. If you believe it, you should say amen. If you don't believe it, don't say amen. Now, if you're singing the Psalms, you better say amen, because God said it, and you should mean it. Amen. And then there is a doxology, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God. This is ascribing language. This would be like if you were writing a love letter to your beloved, and you would say, you are more precious than the lilies of the valley, if that metaphor meant something to them. Or you look at the the book of Song of Solomon, there are these wonderful descriptions because your heart overflows in such a way that the only thing that can capture it is poetry. But this isn't poetic in the sense that it's not illusions, it's not metaphor, it is absolute ascribing to God those things that are true of him, whether or not we confess them. But these people believe them to be true because they have seen God function in this way in their lives. They believe that God is worthy of blessing, worthy of glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, and might. We're going to give these things to him because he has shown himself to be such to us. They're not expectation. They are a response to what they have seen. They're saying it because they're there. They've arrived. It's the arrival song. And it should be even for us as a kind of pilgrim people, a kind of people who are awaiting the fullness of the kingdom, and we are journeying in that walk. We ought to sing it because this is us. And this is the strange paradox of the Christian faith that in our union with Christ, these glories await us in terms of our conscience, expression, and experience of those things. But as far as God is concerned and his decrees and the strength of our union with Christ Jesus, they are we. We will one day sing, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. This is the song they are singing. And it's not just Reformation OPC. Now, I hope that in this life we'll have practiced well enough that when we get to heaven, they're going to go, hey, sing like Reformation OPC sings. (laughs) Sing like those guys. 
And when people come into our church, the one thing that should mark us out from the world is that we have something to sing about, and we know it, and so we sing loudly. I did not say perfectly. You don't have to have perfect pitch. If you struggle, go sit in front of the piano. (laughs) That's one of the reasons we put it back there. It's so you're not distracted with it up here, and it just washes over you, and it teaches you how to keep pitch, especially for our children. And if you won't sing for Christ, who will you sing for? I've seen people yell their heads off at home runs and touchdown passes, or whatever it may be. I'm not saying we need streamers or jock jams. Or any of those things that the world says are necessary. No, we need but only our voices. And we need voices that are filled with true statements of our risen and reigning Lord. You cannot help it. Like that first bite of succulent food, you can't but go, oh man. I've never tasted anything like this. So sweet, so rich, so satisfying. But all of the delights of creation, they're nothing compared to the delights of our creator. And we ought to, in this life, strive to sing with sincerity this song But the reason why they sing this song is because they were once a church militant that has become the church triumphant. Their transformation is the key. Unless you do not understand the depths from which you have been reconciled and the help that is ours in the fight, you will not know how to sing because you won't have anything to sing about. Make this your song by striving for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then the last point I want to make under this, the song, is to see salvation's reach. The reach of the kingdom of Christ is limited only then by God's own providence. His electing decrees and the extent of that decree in terms of number and spread is global. Christ is out for the whole world. That was always his objective. It was to begin with two, and from those two, over a span of millennia, thousands upon thousands of years, what would have happened if Adam and Eve not have sinned is they would have had generations of covenant-keeping, righteous, holy, God-fearing children. And they would have seen them all. Isn't that amazing? I look at the grandparents. <laughs> what a blessing. And it's not just three generations. It's countless. It's a thousand generations. And not only is it generational, but it is global. So that there are children from across this world that look nothing like Abraham that can say, Abraham is my father. We don't look anything like Abraham. And we can say, Abraham is my father. 
because he believed and in his faith it was credited to him as righteousness. Salvation's reach, we've not even begun to see just how far, how big, how glorious, how triumphant the church on earth can be. This is the promise of Ezekiel, right? The waters that issue forth from the temple will one day become so great and so deep and wide that the whole earth will be covered. The the promise of the mustard seed that starts very small, but then it grows into the largest tree in the garden. Or the little bit of yeast that's worked into the bread. And like that leaven, it leavens the whole lump. It takes time. Yesterday, my daughter planted some seeds. This morning, she went out to see if she could see the sprouts. (laughs) No. If so, we're on to something. (laughs) It's not Jack and the Beanstalk. And why do you think that is? Because man is always itching to say, look what I did. Look what I did. So what is God going to do? He's going to spread it out over the generations of many lifetimes so that no one generation or man can say, you should do it like we do it. We just do it the way God says to do it. Word, prayer, sacrament. Word, prayer, sacrament. Three simple ingredients such that this promise becomes true. Sing, O barren woman, you who have not born, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare, lengthen your cords, and strengthen your stakes, for you shall expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. Those people in Revelation 7 are the people who will inhabit the tent that will never cease to expand. It's not only a glorious song, it's a song like the rush of many waters. Can you imagine what it will sound like when every person who is united to Christ Jesus will with redeemed voices sing? Will they not shake the heavens and the earth? Will they not shake? By God's grace, even now through our worship, God will shake the earth. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God. We-